It's something that's going to happen to half of all Australians. In fact, it's probably affecting well over 2 million Australians as we speak. It's said to cost the Australian economy $17 billion a year, but we're not even sure whether it is truly a pathology or just a physiology. Of course, I'm talking about menopause, and I'm lucky to have on the Dr. Rama podcast today two of my favourite people who know everything there is to know about menopause. We're going to find out everything now on Dr. Rama. You're listening to Dr. Rama with Steve Robson, bringing you the best of health, medicine and people. So I have two fantastic guests on Dr. Rama today with a special episode. My first is author and celebrity Kaz Cook. Kaz, welcome so much. What could you just call me, Steve? (laughs) I beg your pardon, sir. I'm an author and uh, a cartoonist and a journalist. Celebrity. (laughs) You have many, many hats, and we're going to talk about all of them over the course of the podcast. With me also is Melbourne Women's Health Specialist Associate Professor Magdalena Simonis. Welcome, Mag. Hello, Steve. Hello, Kaz. Thanks for having me. I'm very honoured to be on with with the pair of you. You're both um, so well known and so accomplished in public health. So it's lovely to be here. Well, we've both done our homework. You've read, you've read "It's the Menopause." I think I think most doctors probably know me from "Up the Duff." So this is sort of the other end of things, really, in a way. Well, look, it's it's a great starting point, Kaz. I first uh, really. Um, uh, came across and, and was very impressed with Up the Duff, as you know. And as an obstetrician, uh, whenever somebody asked me, what's a great book on pregnancy and birth? I said, well, look, my absolute favourite is Up the Duff because it's so down to earth. How did you come to write it in the first place? When I got pregnant, which was 1998, I assumed that it would the, that nine months would be me just like any other time uh, as if I had a basketball tucked up my front. I just didn't have any idea of how physical and how mental it was. I think that, you know, very few women now before they're pregnant themselves um, really have seen someone breastfeeding properly, for example. You know, we used to live in communities where we handed babies around we um, knew what other people had gone through. We knew what risks were because we'd seen other people go through them. Um, and, you know, no one knows better than the people involved in, in the work of caring for women that, you know, women and children over centuries have died for us to have this information, which then a lot of people either don't know about or are suspicious of. So, as with all of my books, it comes from a position of profound ignorance and then I try and use my skills as a journalist to go and speak to medical and other experts and also speak to women themselves because my um, my interest is in women's health and also my books, Girl Stuff, for girls aged 8 to 12 and 13 plus. Um, so, you know, from first periods really, but also body image and confidence and all those other things. And I think they all go together. And very often, um, especially in the past, you know, women only have 15 minutes with a GP and maybe a little bit longer with a midwife or um, a specialist. 
And so the more information that you can give people in a friendly, trustworthy way, um, the more they go already armed with that. And that's um, that's kind of what I try to do. And then I, I keep trying to up, well, I don't try, I update the books every couple of years because I am terrified about medical information changing or getting something wrong. Yeah. Magda, this is a really big issue. The patients who come to see you, where are they getting their information from about everything from pregnancy to menopause? Well, that's a really good question because once upon a time it was from their communities, sometimes by accidentally, and from their peers because a lot of information was not handed down. So in Western society, very unusual. it's very unusual for mothers to sit down with their daughters and talk to them about the reality of sex, menstruation, even having babies and what it's like. So I think that even for educated women like myself, uh, I, I, when I after I had my children, I thought, my goodness, like who would have ever guessed that it was as 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 complicated as all of this, especially when you have complications and you have you know um, babies that don't sleep through the night and breastfeeding doesn't come easily. So the information hasn't been handed down from mother to daughter traditionally very well at all because there's been an element of secrecy and almost shame around our body parts and our bodily functions. And once women reach, you know, that sort of uh, menstrual age, they're, they're sort of, you know, you've got to be separated away from no one's allowed to hear you talking about your menstruation, your menstrual cycle in a household. There's got to be secret, secretive. So... As we've sort of got, you know, uh, social media now, I think information, people source that from the um, from the wide world wide web and from TikTok now and social media and Facebook. Um, so I think that uh, books like what you've written here, Kaz, that speak at the public level and at that health literacy level that the community has are really important, really valuable because... Um, what people really want, what women really want is a peer, someone that understands what they're going through and that they can um, share their journey with and ask, you know, what was it like for you? Am I normal? Because that's one of the big questions women come and ask a GP. Is this normal? Am I normal? And I, I think what's really worrying is from having no information at all, we've gone to having this fire hose of information, as you say, with social media, much of it wrong much of it guessed at, a lot of it extremely biased either by people who want to believe it or um, have a very strong philosophical drive to, you know, not believe doctors or not not believe that any self-help, you know, would be good for them. And I am just astonished at how quickly the, the commercial um, interests have got onto menopause. We've got all sorts of um, celebrities poncing around the place, trying to flog us moisturiser and desiccated powders. I'm astonished at the herbal stuff and the claims made for it um, and the way that that is sold, even though there's no evidence for those specific formulations. Compounded hormone medications that, you know, pharmacists have told me, you, you know, a lot of women aren't aware that if, if they have a uterus and they're, they're taking estrogen, then they need to be on progesterone. And also even some of the medical people, there's a medical doctor from the UK who's really um, wants people to take very high levels of testosterone um, as a as a frontline treatment. <laughs> I can see, Magda, your eyes going, whoa. Um, but, you know, this is, it's very hard for women. How can a woman like me, you know, the lowest common denominator, understand what's going on? So that's why... 
you know, I did this survey of almost 9,000 women for the, for the menopause book and it was absolutely fascinating to see what they had to say about GPs and doctors. Kaz, when I was training to be a specialist in the 90s, you had a radio program that I used to listen to at the time yeah, and it was absolutely hilarious. And I think one of the things that I really like about the books you write, and particularly about the menopause book, is the humour inherent. Um, and you're right, you're a great cartoonist and there are some great things. My favourite cartoon, uh, I think, uh, was about the uh, um, uh, feather in there. That I'll let people who read the book uh, see the feather one, but it made me laugh when I saw that. And a lot of humour because I think that's important to diffuse things. There's a lot of fear. When you spoke and when you surveyed, the, not, the almost 9,000 people, which is extraordinary itself. I'm sure Magda has probably spoken to 9,000 one at a time over the years, but you you did it all at once. Did you see fear um, in the responses that you got? Because I certainly sense it a bit from patients. Yeah, that, that's such an interesting point because I think um, more than fear there is shame, as Magda alluded to. Um, you know, we're, we're talking about centuries of being told that that uh, menstruating is poisonous and we were killing the fruit on the trees. You would have thought that menopause <laughs> was going to sort us out, but no, it turned us into witches. Um, but, yes, there is so much shame about body parts, about blood, about anything that's messy. Um, and so it is, it is, it's not... It, easy and I you know like I have a great job you know writing a book and drawing cartoons is fantastic I am not working down a coal mine but it's tricky to you know in my book Up the Duff there's a section about miscarriage in in this book there's a section about mental you have to be very careful about how you write about things how you write about something like a higher suicide risk or depression or so I'm very careful with the way I write to be that friendly comes first and funny comes second, if that makes sense. So, um, but I think you're right. I think particularly I learned that when I first wrote um, for parents with a, having going through a pregnancy and also for parents with babies and toddlers, because, you know, it can be so terrifying if your toddler's really sick at night and it's one o'clock and you haven't slept for two nights and you, you don't know whether to go to the hospital or go to sleep, honestly, truly. And, if you know, a lot of people wouldn't understand that if they hadn't been through it. But so, you know, I have to, it's important to write information that gives them that clearly and quickly in case they are deciding between going to the hospital and go, go, going back to sleep. And with, with menopause, it's so tricky, right, because it's more than 35 different symptoms. Not everyone gets every symptom. Um, some people kind of breeze through it. Some people have an absolutely terrible time. Um, some people don't. So many women in the survey said to me, like thousands of women said, I didn't know that these symptoms that I've ticked the box for had anything to do with my hormones. So menopause is in a whole class of its own, I reckon. And, and I think the, the biggest future in change in terms of research and in and how to deal with, with patients is going to be in menopause um, b because we, we're, we're really playing catch up. You know, if we didn't know what hormones even were until the 1930s, and then, and then most male doctors didn't really care in terms of, you know, menopause. I think that's the big change that we're going through. 
And a change we're going through is exactly what we're talking about here today. Absolutely. Magda, when patients come to see you, what's the overwhelming thing that you see? Is it concern? Is it mystification about what's going on? Are people well-informed? Are they finding it difficult to be well-informed? What's your sense of things? They find it very difficult to be well-informed. They're not well-informed and they're really curious and scared. So coming back to what Kaz was saying, there's an element of fear in what they're ex- they're experiencing. And also I think that uh, some are coming in now expectantly uh, thinking, oh, look, I'm 48, uh, I need to have a chat with you about the menopause because I've heard all these terrible things about it. So... I think one of the one of the big uh, you know reassurances that they that women will will have or you know patients who go through this phase will will experience is in being with a doctor who shows that they're interested in listening and saying look you know there's a there's a spectrum of what the abnormal will be and some of it will be mild and some of it will be abnormal very very disturbing and there's a spectrum of normal also so which part of that do you want me to deal with? So what I generally ask my patients is, what is it you know? What is it you've heard about? And what is it that you fear? And what do you need help with? So I put it back on them. I, I, I'm an open book and I'm willing to talk to them about any part of what they, they, they are experiencing. But I'm really keen to find out what their primary concern is. And for some, it really is about sleep disturbance and brain fog. And others, it's really about um, the embarrassment of hot flushes and feeling like they're on a they're like a furnace during their working day and feeling embarrassed, especially when they they hold you know um, roles that are in leadership and they feel really challenged by their appearance. And I mean, you know, some of us have had that experience too. You know, we literally you're wearing a, a silk shirt and you soak through it and you think, God, what a mistake that was. <laughs> um, so, but these are experiences that you know women will have. So. Talking about all that and coming back to what Kaz was saying, when there are stories that they will share with you about the most embarrassing moments, so part of what you talk about in your book, Kaz, which I really love, um, is you've you've really singled out some of the most embarrassing situations that women have experienced and talked about in those bubbles. They're fabulous because, you know, it normalises the embarrassment and some of us just don't want to admit to that. But when we see that it's happened, it minimises that in our own minds. And I think that that's a very important thing that you've done in the book. So, um, and that's that's also what GPs ideally should try to do in the setting of a clinical, you know, consultation. But our time is limited. So one of the things I, re- I encourage when I, when I teach GPs and when I talk about this at women's health forums, et cetera, is that, Make the appointment once a year, at least once a year, to have a women's health check. I book my, especially now that we're doing cervical screening tests every five years. I say to my patients, once a year, I would like you. We're going to, you're going to get a call from my office, and you're going to come in with, and it's going to be about an hour long, and you're going to write a list of all the things that you want to talk to me about. It might be to do with your menstrual cycle. It might be about sex. We're going to talk about all the women's bits and all the other bits, and make a list and bring it in. Well, I think you're in danger of having thousands of people ringing you up and trying to come and see you, Magda, because what I found was hundreds of women saying, 
um, that they loved their GP and their GP did listen to them and they felt they could say to their GP, I've got this, I'm weeing when I don't mean to and it's really embarrassing or I'm having this insane periods that go on for two months and I have to sit in these meetings that go on for three hours and I can't sit for three hours, you know, I'll bleed through. And and we're often told only the glamorous side of menopause, oh, what, you should, what should you look like and what size should you be and all of that nonsense. Um, so what I did in my book, and I'm so glad to hear you say that because we're really in, in sync here. I mean, women don't sync periods, but I think we can sync our views, Magda. <laughs> um, and I've said um, I talked to um, – the uh, College of GPs, and they had one suggestion which was uh, always make a longer um, consultation, a longer appointment, and also I've got a list of things to to ask your GP so that you understand what the GP understands what you're trying to find out and also what you might need to know, but you don't know that yet. Mm. Um, and people were had been told things by their GPs that just astonished me like, well, what did you expect? Mm. You know, you're getting old. Um, well, you've just got to put up with it. It's just part of being a woman. That that won't be hormonal. You won't be going through, you know, you're too young was another thing that was said to women um, in their, you know, early 40s, uh, mid 40s, late 40s. So it's, it's not too young. And um, even if those women were going through it and having those sort of symptoms without a, a surgical reason, for example, before the age of 40, then there's a possibility there of a diagnosis for early menopause, right? So those women should be probably having um, in investigation as well. So I'm very careful in the book not to slag off doctors because I, I think the lockdowns and COVID has been really hard for doctors. They're overworked. They're trying to do their best. Many doctors um, went in the survey and said to me that they'd had no training or an hour's training when they did their degree about menopause. So what I want to do also is talk to women and doctors about how to be partners in healthcare. And I think women of the past were often used to, I remember that phrase my nanny used to say, I'm under a doctor. And I used to think, <laughs> shall we get some, how can we help you get out from under there? Um, but, you know, under a doctor really said it all, wasn't it? You know, that the information was coming down from above and you were being told what to do. So I think that, um, and, and I think women need to uh, uh, know about, you know, this, the risks um, and also the the safety of hormonal medication because many of them are still being given 20-year outdated advice about the safety of um, MHT, which we're calling it now. And very often women have said to me, oh, I thought I was supposed to take HRT, but my doctor says I have to take MHT. Like the, the base of information is, and it's it's no one's fault, right? It's just suddenly you hit this world where you have to know all this extra stuff. And that's that's why I love the quotes in the book and especially all the optimistic and, and um, kind ones and, and um, the ones about freedom, about the menopausal time of your life having positive aspects as, as well because, and I th someone had a whack at me the other day saying, oh, these books just encourage people to think that menopause is going to be a terrible nightmare and they'll have a terrible time. But I'm not trying to do that. I'm just saying if you have, and I deliberately say, don't read this like a novel because, mm. you know, all these things will happen to you. 
Um, so I feel, I feel that if if we can give it, give everyone a little bit of slack and try and learn it together and investigate things together, things could get a lot better, a lot quicker. Kaz, the approach you took of asking almost nine thousand women. Um, what was important to them and to engage them in the dialogue is a really unique one for doing something like this. Um, did you, for, A, I guess, first of all, was it difficult to get people to respond? And secondly, were they forthcoming when they did respond? Oh, my God, Steve, were they forthcoming? I mean, you know, <laughs> I tell you, there was no, nobody was backward in coming forwards. Uh, some of them were very cross indeed about even being asked because they hadn't had any symptoms, not even rage, will you shut up? And then they go, go off into, you know, capital letters in the response. No, people, I think I've got enough of a track record now that I think people trust me and I said to them, I'm not going to use this information for anything else. I mean, people were telling me about their sex lives. They were telling me, you know, what was happening at work. Um, You know, it was, that was a lovely feeling. I actually cried sometimes reading people's experiences and and I I did laugh at the poor lady who told me that there was no need to write the book because if people just ate a lot more yellow vegetables, they wouldn't push through menopause. <laughs> I don't know what we're all bothering about, Magda. You can go home. You don't... <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, and, and I made it very open-ended, you know, tell me about this, what, you know, what what has been your experience. I don't claim and would never do that it's a scientific survey I was very interested in some of the statistics that, of course, cannot be extrapolated to, you know, a whole population or anything like that. But it was really fascinating to me to find that, you, you know, you find things that come up again and again, even though you didn't ask a question about it. And that's when you know that there's something that you didn't know. So, for example, a lot of women said they'd withdrawn from their friends during perimenopause as part of their um the lowering of self-esteem, the phrase, I don't feel myself, I don't know who I am anymore, that was really, really common, very interesting. And also the phrase, and I'm very much hoping you have an editor because I'm going to swear now, um, lots of variations on the phrase, I have no more to give. People had none of them, they had few of them, they'd run out of them. That you know, I did not ask a question with that wording in it, but that was very, very common. So... Yeah, and, and then I, I reckon there were, it's, this is just a little side note, but there were about seven people who said they'd lost confidence in, in their driving abilities. So these are things that when you can put them in a book like this, in those speech bubbles, as Magda was um, saying, you go, oh, that happened to me too. You know, it, it does totally normalise it. Um, yeah. Yeah, look, ab- absolutely. And I think the, the book has got a lot of those quotes in them that are just, Absolutely fantastic. Magda, I'm going to ask a really basic question. When you see a patient, do you treat menopause as a physiological event or a pathological problem? Or do you, you know, what's your approach? I treat it as a part of life. So it's a journey of life. So we talk about it's a physiological event and it's pathological only if it's interfering with their ability to do the things that they want to do. So whether or not they can have sex or whether or not they can participate in social activities, whether or not they're, they're having, you know, urinary symptoms that are, that are really bothersome, that's when it becomes a pathology. Um, 
And so I think that there's a really big distinction between what's a physiological process that we're just helping women understand that these are physical symptoms and changes that will take place in the body, some of which will interfere with the way you want to do things and do things normally. And if they become really bothersome, let's talk about how we can manage those symptoms, whether it be sex, whether it be sleep, whether it be frequency of urination, waking up through the night, uh, whether it be your skin feeling terrible and creepy, crawly and itchy, whether it be forgetfulness, those moments of rage that are inexplicable, you know, like having a really short fuse. The other thing I, I, I always try to do is see the woman in the context of her life and her family and her situation because a lot of the time women at this age are also juggling, you know, a husband or a partner who may be going through some sort of crisis of their own or who might have a cancer or who's unhappy at work uh, or the marriage might be on the rocks. They might have teenagers or young adults still living at home going through their crazy phases and being really, you know, obnoxious and they have really big jobs. <laughs> Kaz laughed at that. Yeah, well, you know, these are phases. They're normal things. And, you know, when you're adults in a house, there are lots of personalities that can clash. Oh, I'm not laughing at it, Magda. I'm laughing with it. Yeah, 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 yeah I know. Yeah, I know. Wrong with looking, looking after elderly relatives. And... and elderly relatives, that's right. So, you know, you've got a heck of a lot happening at the same time. So, Get the whole picture. And that's the beauty of being a GP, where you do have that continuity of care. That is where you say, so how's Jack going, you know, and how's Eliza going? Is she in BCE now? And then you you find out the whole the whole situation and what's going on there. And then you address all, the, all of that in the context of what she's going through. So some of it is going to be life. Some of it's going to be physiological. It is a chapter in life. And I think that there's really, it's just so important to take that journey with them. So one of the things that you do, Kaz, you're, you're a hand holder. That's what you do in your books. You hold the hand of the reader through that journey. You're saying, I understand you and I care for the way you're feeling because I actually, I understand it. Yep. Or I've met others that, um, that feel the same way. And having that, that, you know, not feeling alone. So I think it's really important for the GP to make the 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 woman not feel alone and and that this is not a one soft consultation this is a series of consultations and this might be you know uh, uh, coming back to what you were saying about you know the misinformation that doctors have received yeah well, you know the world the the women's health initiative in 2002 really massacred um you know the lives of a lot of women you know, for 10 years, we were not prescribing HRT, MHT, MHT shows my generation, hey? <laughs> but but it, we, we were told that it, was, that it was very risky, even though those of us that were sort of pretty informed knew that it was, that, that was very, um, that was a poor study and that you know, a lot of what they presented was, was presented in a particular way that was um, not, not valid. But it influenced women. It influenced the world. Yeah. And, and we had a lot of depressed, yeah. unhappy women in the community who were seeking, you know, antidepressant therapy rather than MHT. Yeah, and one of the things that a lot of women said was they'd gone to uh, their GP with classic perimenopausal symptoms and been put on antidepressants, not because they were being prescribed antidepressants for hot flushes because they couldn't take hormone medication, but because it hadn't occurred to the doctor 
that the, but I think that is changing. And another thing I think so important, what you're saying is that women want to trust their doctors. And I think if doctors, if doctors can play a huge role, not only in um, diagnosis and keeping up with the latest medications and the latest treatments, but in being kind when they say to women who will come to them and say, I don't want to take drugs, I just want something natural. So having that conversation that you're just um, a little bit like uh, with insulin, that you're in diabetes, that you are replacing a hormone into the body, um, but you only do that if there's a symptom that you want help with, um, and not saying to them, well, you're stupid if you take that you know, herbal thing, but, but explaining why there are no studies that actually back that up to make a significant change in hormone levels. And I, I think understanding that people bring a philosophy into the doctor's surgery and they don't understand how to, get, how to unbend themselves from that philosophical position. And I think it's the same with people going, I mean, women have said to me, I want to go on MHT because I don't want to look so old and I, and I don't want my hair to go grey and I want to stay thinner. And I go, you know that MHT doesn't do any of that. And they are astonished. So I think it's not helpful to go, and of course some women don't want to or can't take MHT, but um, I really would say that women who have GPs that they can trust they are so appreciative. They love those doctors. And for the other women who've been to a doctor who says, oh, you know, just put up with it, um, you know, I'm not interested in talking about it, they very often don't go back to the doctor at all. It's very, very clear that Magda and I are very big fans, not only of, of um, the, the It's the Menopause book, which is just terrific, but all of the books around the various topics that you've done. And I'm going to wrap things up here by asking each of you, um, what's the key, I'll start with you, Kaz, what's probably the key message you'd like people to take about menopause after all of the effort you put into the book? What, what do you think is the key thing? That it's different for everybody and everyone deserves knowledge because it is power. Absolutely. Magda, what's your key message for women struggling with the symptoms of menopause? To seek information really from uh, a caring GP who knows about it or from Kaz Cook's book. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We're, we're absolutely. Yeah. At one on this, it's a fantastic yeah. book. Kaz, Magda, thank you both. I know you're both incredibly busy. I'm extremely grateful that you've taken the time to speak with me this afternoon on Dr. Rama. Thank you. You've been listening to Dr. Rama, a podcast produced on Ngunnawal country by the Australian Medical Association. All rights reserved.